Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, I'm doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although they'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Recording for Looser. Hello, welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as I am on every episode of this uh, journey down the path of the contrary by my buddy Julio. Julio, how are you doing this evening? You say my buddy My I <laughs> fucked up my words there. Yes, I did. I'll, I'll be your buddy. I was going to say Oliveira, but then I just kind of warped them together. <laughs> Come on, we're we're beyond uh, beyond the last name stuff. <laughs> I was just checking to make sure I got the episode number right. Okay. This is 47. 47, yeah. So just, how are you doing? I, I, I'm I such a loser, Alex. <laughs> You're just a teenage <laughs> dirtbag. Yes. I, uh, not teenage anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I finally – part of the joy of doing this podcast with you is that every now and then I uncover some gem that I haven't seen, mm-hmm. right? And a couple episodes ago – it was your turn when you watched Bewitched. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, it's my turn. I hadn't seen Loser, and uh, and now I have, and I'm very happy I did. Yes, Loser uh, from the year 2000. I common misconception thought it was from 2001. Uh, it is dated. The opening shot of it is downtown New York City, and we get the uh, World Trade Center towers. That's not the only thing that dates this movie. Definitely not in a good way. Yeah. But I, this is probably the closest you can get to time traveling to the year 2000. Yes. I just stay there in a loop. Yes, in that exact moment of 2000. Uh, But yes, of course, this is continuing um, second to last installment of our female filmmakers story arc. Yeah, we have one left, plus potentially a bonus episode, Mm -hmm. if if we can get to it. Uh, This, of course, directed by Amy Heckerling of uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High fame. Of course, we'll get to more of her filmography and contributions and real talk here in a little bit, but... Loser is the Jason Biggs vehicle that, again, time frame, I thought it was a bit later, but this would have been right after American Pie took off and Jason Biggs' party was never going to end. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, I, in a way, it's, I don't know, it's, uh, we'll get into it as, as we talk about the movie, but I think uh, the movie kind of encapsulates uh, Jason Biggs' career at that very precise point in time, like in a nutshell, it's mm-hmm. Loser, it's not... 
it's not just the story of the character that Jason Biggs played, but it's also the story of Jason Biggs right then. Much like The Wrestler uh, is the story of Mickey Rourke. Exactly, exactly. Only that with, with The Wrestler, it's pretty obvious because mm-hmm. uh, Aronofsky is not a particularly subtle filmmaker, so you get hit in the head pretty quickly and pretty often about yeah. the fact that, oh, yeah, this is Mickey Rourke coming back. Uh, but here with Biggs... You you don't really get it until you're halfway through and you're like, this poor guy. <laughs> he deserves better. He means well, but life's just throwing a bunch of shit at him. Right. And it's he's just trying to fit in with the cool kids. Mm-hmm. Uh and and that's I can imagine that that's kind of what Jason Biggs uh what his life was like around that time. The scholarship was American Pie. And, and his mean roommates were Chris Klein and uh Sean William Scott. Right. He he was a he and was Eugene a good guy. Levy. <laughs> yes. Why? Because none of them had fucked a pie. <laughs> Jason Biggs, yeah, he got into college mm-hmm. fucking a pie, and now that he can't live that down. Mm-hmm. So that's in a way, I think that that's a little bit uh, like the story in the movie here, which is that he uh, he's just too nice for this business, too nice for college. And much like Jason Biggs's career, this movie was rejected rather venomously. Uh, 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. The parallels never end. <laughs> no, they don't. There were some that liked it, though. Is that correct? Yes, but right now, Alex, it's almost like you've forgotten how we do this. We're going to talk about the people that hated it. Okay. 24%. Lots of green splotches, starting with Eric D. Snyder from ericdsnyder.com, who says, Loser is both a title and a review for this film. Aww. And he sets the tone for all the quotes that follow. Stephanie McGrath from Jam Movies says, Loser lives up to its name. Jeff, it's just too easy for him. <laughs> Jeff Weiss from Deseret News, Salt Lake City, says, Loser is a perfect title for such an awful film. Kevin Lally from Film Journal International says, A flat and funny comedy with the all-too-apt name of Loser. Good God. <laughs> Carla Meyer from San Francisco Chronicle, Loser is just as it sounds. And finally, Philip Booth from Orlando Weekly, The Conflicts, dot, 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 are undeveloped. <laughs> he took the high road. <laughs> he had teenage dirtbag stuck in his head, and he just had to give the dramatic <laughs> pause. Yeah, that may actually drive me to want to do sucker punch to think about how all the plays off the title. Yep, the reviews yeah. are so. Uh, of course, the incomparable Jason Biggs plays Paul Tannick, who uh, the first scene of the film is him. He lives in a rural town. Is it in New York? Is it established that he lives in New York? Uh, he mentions it at some point when he's talking to his dad. He says that. The population of New York, uh, the, the people that live in one skyscraper are the same amount of people that live in their entire town. And he calls his name, you know, the town by its name. But mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't catch it. I was too captivated by two legends of the silver screen sharing it. It was uh, the passing of the torch. It was. Uh, Jason Biggs, his father in this movie is played, of course, by Dan Aykroyd, which it sets a tone of stardom right away. I There are two things that happen at the beginning of the movie that just... They're shortcuts, but they're good shortcuts that mm-hmm. tell you this movie is good and that you should just sit back and relax. You're in good hands. One is uh, Jason Biggs dancing at the beginning because they're celebrating yeah. that he graduated or he got the scholarship. And he does the most amazing white man dancing in those opening five minutes. He's dancing with a bunch of little girls. Uh, and it's great. You just you can just see that this is comedy gold. You're in good hands. It's, it's mm-hmm. all going to be okay. And then... Cut to him having a heartfelt conversation with his father, with Dan Aykroyd. And what else do you need 
to do nothing. I mean, you you cast an Aykroyd and just let the magic happen. Mm-hmm. And and it's literally a passing of the torch because then Aykroyd pretty much exits the movie. Yeah. He's just giving the baton to This is uh, yours now. This <laughs> yes. is all yours. I, I believe in you. Go <laughs> off to college and carry this movie for me. And off to college he goes to New York City. Uh, this is just a small town boy making his way to become a man in the, you know, the most thriving city on the planet. And right away, you know, his um, small town charm and manners are not reciprocated by the people of New York City. No, um, it's 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 pretty clear right from the moment that he arrives in New York that we're in for a delightful fish out of water story. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much like uh, recent hits like Thor and uh, well, pretty much all those Marvel movies that put in uh, small town kids with yeah. big league superheroes. The, uh, the country mouse in the city. Exactly. You know, Spider-Man playing with the Avengers, that kind of stuff. Here you have Biggs playing with New Yorkers. Yeah. And uh, he, he just can't catch a break. He mm-hmm. keeps falling, Pratt falling, shall we say, Uh and uh, he can't get the hang of the of the handshakes or the uh, just the proper way of dressing. He's wearing this this hat mm-hmm. that uh, plays a very important role later in the movie. The Francis McDormand hat from Fargo. Yes, maybe he's from Minnesota. Uh, do we know if he's from? Uh, I guess I didn't think of that. I mean, he didn't have the accent, no. so maybe not. Maybe he's just a big Coen Brothers fan. It's a uh, it's fitting that you mention uh, Pratt Falls, and also in the opening scene when. Him and Aykroyd are talking about New York. They say, you know, you've seen that show Seinfeld. Uh, there's <laughs> some tie-ins to that that we'll get to here after a bit. But I, I do think uh, that uh, we'll just say that Paul was a big Kramer fan. <laughs> so, yes, very clear. When he first gets to his room, meets his roommates. He yeah. just, just opens, he opens the door. opens the door and says, hey, buddy. Uh, yeah, so we are introduced to his dorm, uh, his roommates in the dorm, uh, Adam, Noah, and Chris. Played by uh, Tom Sadowick, Jimmy Simpson, uh, Liam McPoyle, and of course Zach Orth plays Adam. Zach Orth, I'm a big fan of from his work on Wet Hot American Summer, but it was nice to see him branch out and do something aside from that franchise. Right. Uh, me personally, uh, Tom Sadowski. It's funny because he's credited as Tom Sadowski there, but mm-hmm. now later, now that he's an adult, he goes by Thomas Sadowski. Okay. Uh, two cool things about Thomas Sadowski. One, he's in. Uh, one of my favorite shows ever, The Newsroom. That's where I recognize him from. But two, I have two friends from College Station that actually went to school with him. Nice. And uh, so when he was in The Newsroom, uh, he, uh, you know, my friend Drew yeah. was, he, he's like, hey, do you know that guy? I know him. I know him from College Station. And we follow him on Twitter. And, you know, he said hi and everything. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, and just now, as we were watching the movie, I posted on Facebook that we were watching it, as I usually do, mm-hmm. and I posted the picture where you can't even see Thomas Sadowski. He's he's in the background, kind Tom. of blurry. Tom, Tom, yeah, yeah that's right. And uh, and I got a an instant message from someone else from College Station. It's like, hey, uh, I went to school with the guy that gets punched at the end in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Tom Sadowski. <laughs> That's awesome, uh, but yeah, he. I had to like pinch myself because I thought I was I was having a wonderful dream seeing all these talented young actors mm-hmm. together, and then I thought that as it usually happens when you're watching an old movie and you see young actors there that you recognize, but this before their careers took off. Mm-hmm. I thought the movie was gonna tease me with like five minutes, ten minutes of them, and then they would be gone. But I was pleasantly surprised that these these guys stick around. Yeah. They, they're they're a constant through the through the movie. That's they're the awesome. eaters. They're around for the long haul. <laughs> yes. Uh and then speaking of, you know, young, promising 
and kind of, you know, burned out too bright too quick. <laughs> We're introduced to, uh, I guess you would call him, would the roommates be the foil, the antagonist, or would, would Professor Ed, uh, Edward Alcott be the protagonist? This, the movie, antagonist, this movie toys with you because, yeah, I thought that the professor was the antagonist and the roommates were just background noise. Mm-hmm. But then as it goes along, the roommates come to prominence and you're like, oh, the roommates are the real enemy. There's how this movie, just like life, is complex enough that you can have more than one antagonist. I think the uh, I think Professor Alcott is supposed to represent just overall the you know the bad nature of show business. Whereas the roommates represent all the temptations that Jason Biggs fought along the way, his ascent right. into stardom. Right, he could turn into the roommates, but yes. there's no way that he could turn into Professor Alcott, mm-hmm. played by Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear, who looks the same, yeah. No matter which movie you you watch him in, he just doesn't age. Giving a performance that we're not worthy of. Oh no, no, nobody. I mean, this movie's good, mm-hmm. but it's not as good as Greg Kinnear's performance. Yes. Uh, Kramer comes in the room and falls down the stairs in his very first class uh, that uh, Professor Alcott is teaching. Uh, Jason Biggs comically falls down the stairs of his lecture hall. It's a literature class, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Lit 101, I think that's what he says. Of course. <laughs> uh, after falling, Paul pulls himself up, You know, pulls up his bootstraps, sit down. Uh, sits down next to Mina Savari, who he's very familiar with from the American Pie franchise, but uh, for intents and purposes of loser, uh, Dora Diamond and Sparks fly instantly. Yeah, it's uh, the final piece of the puzzle here in this little comedy drama that we that we watched. Um, the love interest, as it were, uh, she. I, I had to ask you because. Obviously, I knew Mina Sabari from American Beauty before mm-hmm. I knew her from American Pie. Uh, but obviously, she worked with Jason Biggs in American Pie. Not you know, so I'm assuming that the connection is from there. Jason Biggs's uh, scenes from American Beauty were cut out. Oh yeah, yeah. the the ones where he's just watching yeah. uh, everything happen <laughs> <from the background. laughs> when he's buying his second apple pie. <laughs> hey, <laughs> welcome to Mr. Smiley's. <laughs> Uh, becomes painfully apparent, uh, quickly, I should say, apparent that uh, Dora and Professor Alcott are an item. I believe it's right after the very first class that we see him in that we find out that they're dating behind everybody's back. Yeah. Uh, this this movie moves really fast. It's It goes... Uh, it picks up. It, it picks up real quickly. I mean, it's like, what, 90 minutes? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have time to waste on... on back in any... 2000, we didn't have the time to waste. No. Everybody was on uh, Adderall. They were mm-hmm. just blowing through that screenplay as quickly as they could uh yeah they're 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 having a secret affair which is a little disturbing because minasavari i mean i guess she's supposed to be college age in this mm-hmm. movie but she looks like she, I they make you. a point uh, she may look like she's 15 but she has the line of dialogue i'm older than 18 right i'm an old soul <laughs> Uh, and Kinnear, obviously, he's just he he is he has such a winsome performance here because obviously he's a creep. Um, even if if Menasvari is of age, as she says, mm-hmm. you know he's still a teacher sleeping with a student. Yeah. But also he's a funny teacher. He's the, he's the cool teacher. He's making jokes. He's he's making the the students laugh. He's one of those teachers that makes jokes and everybody kind of rolls their eyes. He's, yeah. he's actually engaging people when when Biggs comes in and rolls down the stairs. He makes a joke about that. He's not Jerry Lewis, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, he's not that square teacher that that calls nine one one, checks to see if the guy broke his neck or something. No, he's just he's interested in keeping the. Well, how many people do you say? Like 160 yeah. students? 
he knows that this job, I mean, requires them to keep them engaged. You can't just lose them because somebody almost killed themselves. And he's a prodigy. He's 34, but he's been a professor for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. That's. I wonder if that's true or if he was just selling uh, a story to I, I believed everything Greg Kinnear said in this movie. That is true. I, I would have, if I have been a student there, I also would have been trying to sleep with him. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so this is the relationship that's established. We know this is going on. And this is kind of much like their actual relationship, kind of buried in the background of the film. It's not something you're kind of beaten over the head with. But we do find out that the roommates uh, that Paul has moved in with, Adam, Noah, and Chris, they're a bit out of control. And Paul's a, a bit of a loser, a bit of a magoob. <laughs> I'm a goob. Yeah, they do that thing from the music video of uh, Loser, which is the only thing I'd seen about this movie before. Teenage tonight. Dirtbag? Teenage Dirtbag by Weenus? Weenus. <laughs> Weenus, Weenus. Yeah. It's all the same. Uh, they had that famous shot where uh, uh, I think it's Jimmy Simpson and Tom Sadowski, mm-hmm. Sadowski like they do the L yeah. on the forehead. And uh, which the shape of an L. Yep, it reminds you of the other of uh, All Star Mystery Men. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, All Star. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a loser. But the thing is, he's also a really good guy. Mm-hmm. So this movie chronicles uh, the tale of a young guy, a young good guy in the modern world. Mm-hmm. I as as we kept watching and the movie keeps hammering Jason Biggs with misfortune after misfortune and somehow this bastard just gets up and ha- still has a smile on his face and still believes in like the better nature of people. Yeah. It's it's inspi- it's inspiring. And it's I saw it's kind of a companion piece of uh to It's a Wonderful Life. Where It's a Wonderful Life, it's about how the world was almost too good for Jimmy Stewart, right? Mm-hmm. And he has to recognize that, oh, you know, even if I lost all the money and whatever, people still love me and all the stuff. Here, it's the opposite. It's like the world is not good enough for Jason Biggs, mm-hmm. but Jason Biggs, through sheer willpower, will will carve himself a space there and get the girl and and even punch the bad guy at the end. Yeah. So it was. It's it's actually, it's very inspirational, but also. In order to get there, it takes you through some dark times that we're going to talk about. Well, it's also uh, the whole allegory of Dark Knight Rises, where a hero is whoever you want it to be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In this case, I mean, like, not all heroes wear capes. No. And some of them don't wear the hats that they get to the city with. <laughs> they have to change their hats eventually. At this point, we learn that Dora, to pay for college, the, you know, tale as old as time, she works at a strip bar, uh, but she's just a bit too smart for the occupation. Yeah, she's not stripping, though. She's just waiting tables. Yeah. Right? And she's or did just... I miss? <laughs> no, she's <laughs> the... not stripping. You just looked at me like, of course she's stripping, man. <laughs> you didn't... <laughs> I completely missed the point of uh that scene where she was putting her clothes back on. <laughs> Much like The Wrestler. Or no, you actually do see uh, Marissa Tomei strip oh, in that. Yeah, she does at least two lap dances That's in that right. movie. Okay, so unlike The Wrestler, similar occupation. Well, this is PG-13. That's right. <laughs> and they get we see, we get one fuck. Yeah, they save it for the end of the movie. Which the, is for good. the most poignant scene. Yeah. Uh, but Dora, basically, she doesn't want to be doing this, but basically, essentially is having to to pay for college, and even then it's not working out. Yeah, it's it's funny. There's this nice parallel to uh, uh, where you kind of see that she and Jason Biggs are meant for each other because mm-hmm. uh, the final piece of advice that Dan Aykroyd gave Jason Biggs before he left town is when you get to New York, this is how you make friends. You you pay attention, right? They say interested is interesting. So whenever yeah. you're talking to someone, look at them in the eyes and pay attention and whatever. And she gets basically – she gets in trouble at work 
because that's what she's doing. When mm -hmm. people call over, like her customers are talking to her, she pays attention and she shows interest. And then she gets yelled at by her boss because she, they're like, no, you're supposed to walk away. So they have to buy a new drink so you can come back. So yeah. she's too good for this job. And just like Jason, Jason Biggs is too big. Too, uh, too big. <laughs> just like Jason Biggs is too good for New York City. Yes. Uh, at this point in my notes, I just have in all caps, it is 2000, because we're probably the first act of this film, and already, uh, just off the top of my head, I recall uh, Fastball, uh, The Offspring, and Eiffel 65, The Blue. Um, or the guys that talk about uh, doing it while watching The X-Files. Um, uh, the Bloodhound, Bloodhound yeah. That comes later, but that's uh, in there, too. Uh, we get um, Who else do we get in there? Obviously, we have the... The centerpiece ever clear, but we'll get to that here momentarily. Right. And then Weenus. Weenus, yeah. <laughs> um, Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, there's a Friends reference. There's at some a, point in the movie. There is, and the cameos we get in here could not be more two thousand. <laughs> exactly, it's just those people that were were the cool gets. Mm -hmm. um, so, as I just mentioned, uh, Jason Biggs is rifling through the student newspaper when he sees an Everclear concert coming to town. He had noted uh, that scene where he met Dora on her binder, I believe, was uh, an Everclear sticker. Who has stickers anymore? That's it's well, so 2000. We did in 2000. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, we quickly learned that Dora can't afford her tuition any longer, and she's fired from her job at the bar because she's not making the money that the other women there are. Um, and she's not eligible for student aid. So for no real reason other than to get a whopper of a cameo in, <laughs> she tries to get herself emancipated. And you want to talk about a big get in 2000. <laughs> Who are we blessed with, Julio? Straight out of uh, news radio, I guess, at this point. Would have been well, a few would, years. A few years yeah. after news radio. So he's he was just kind of, at this point, sprinkling his presence all over the media. But uh, Andy Dick shows up. Uh, and has a very Andy Dick two minutes on screen. Just a complete asshole, mm -hmm. uh, which is the Andy Dick brand. Yeah. He uh, he keeps sneezing. He, he coughs something on her and denies her the emancipation. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. He's done in the movie. Which, good. <laughs> yeah, the, I the mean. The less Andy Dick in my life, the better. I, I can appreciate his humor two minutes at a time. Yes. Two minutes every year or so. Uh, two minutes every you know, decade. decade. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, up next here, we have a scene where, you know, after a heavy night of partying, Liam McPoyle uh, falls asleep on the bed with a lit cigarette. Uh, unbeknownst to the audience, he has a waterbed that this burns through. And this really is, you know, cut it any way you want. This is a Kramer scene where Jason Biggs is trying to plug the hole using anything he can find. He's slipping on the floor. Yeah. It's a very Michael Richard-esque delivery. Yes. Uh... Minus the blatant racism. <laughs> He's still young yet. And he's he is Kramer. He's not old, bitter Michael Richards. Exactly. At the laugh yeah. Yet. Yeah. No. Uh, in Loser Two, you know the rough years. Uh, that's when Loser you... Two back to school. <laughs> uh, that's when he he's playing. He's a teacher now. He's a Greg Kinnear role, and he's teaching American history. Mm -hmm. and he's a hardcore racist. Yeah. Uh, but no, he. Uh, yeah. He. This is. I think this is the final. Uh, the straw that breaks the the camel's back so to speak with his uh roommates right mm -hmm. this is where they decide that they've had enough of him because yeah. if he can't see the humor on a leaking waterbed then why the fuck are they rooming with him yeah uh, zach it, orth says it's just water let it dry as this thing is just jettisoning out at him yeah uh and biggs you know he's just trying to be a good student he he's on a scholarship so he can't let his grades slip uh 
but he's paired with you know these partiers, which honestly, sincerely, I would rather hang out with them than with Jason Biggs. But I understand his his plight here. He's mm-hmm. he even tells them he he's he's short on money, and uh, you know if he doesn't make his grades, he gets kicked out. So, yeah. uh, but they're kids, so you know kids don't understand. Uh, and they basically come up with a uh, an evil scheme to screw him over, and they report him to basically the the head of housing or their um, RA, excuse me. Right. That he's spouting racist slurs, not cleaning up, and uh, he's unhygienic. And he does what he can to make sure that that gets reinforced because he doesn't want to live with them any longer. Yeah, it's a smart move. Um, even we shows that he may be a nice guy, but he's not an idiot. Uh, he sees his way out of this living arrangement and he takes mm-hmm. it, uh, which is good. Uh, he ends up being rec- relocated to some sort of vet. Like an animal uh, shelter? Yeah, an animal shelter. Yeah, I wasn't too sure. He's not a veterinary student, but it somehow was hooked up with him through the school. New York is just crazy. It is. It is. It's just like Seinfeld. Uh, he, <laughs> Yeah, he basically gets to sleep in an animal shelter as long as he helps take care of the animals and whatnot. That is a very Kramer thing, too. Like, I could totally see that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer ends up sleeping at an animal shelter. Yeah. and then he's like running his apartment out to some crazy college kids. And right, yeah. and, and delivers kittens and everything. <laughs> uh, Dora is in desperate need. She relies on Professor Alcott, tries to see if she can stay with him, and he will have none of it. Yeah, she's uh, – at this point, I think, and this is when I wrote, who's the real loser? Mina Suvari? Because <laughs> the the movie on the surface is about Jason Biggs not being able to fit in. Mm-hmm. But but when you look at it, Mina Suvari has m- a much shittier life. I mean, there are shots of her just sleeping at the subway station yeah. because she's basically homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's She's sleeping with a guy that's clearly taking advantage of her. It, it, that's clear to anybody except for her. She yeah. thinks that it's actual that it's love. Uh, she has a shitty job that she just got fired from. And she loser. It's not just about Jason Biggs being a loser. Uh, it's about Jason Biggs trying to fit in, being mm-hmm. a little awkward. But it's about Mena Suvari just hitting rock bottom. Yeah. So. Uh, and also just Greg Kinnear being just a loser. <laughs> well, I mean, us I, enlightened. Adults from the year 2017, we can judge him, but okay. but you know, to the guys that are uh, taking his class, oh, he's he's the he, cool guy. He's a cool teacher that's fucking a student. Yeah. Uh, Paul's old roommates, Adam, Noah, and Chris, get wind of his uh, situation because there's been a new rule instituted in the dorm about um, they they're gonna check you know grocery bags, backpacks for drugs, alcohol, things of that nature. When O'Brien, one of the kids in the school, get, he falls into a coma. That's so New York. <laughs> so they want to utilize the animal shelter for a party, and basically they sweet talk and swindle Paul into believing you know they're buddy buddy, and everything's gonna be kosher once more. Yeah, Biggs forgives them uh, once again, proving that he still believes in the better nature of his mm-hmm. peers. Uh, they they tell him that no, the whole thing was just them testing him, and actually that they knew they were gonna need an outside uh, location for parties. Now that the school was instituting these rules, and that that's the only reason why they got him kicked out. And uh, he puts up some resistance because he's not an idiot. But mm-hmm. then eventually he decides to give him a shot. Yeah, and and you 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 have to give him this at least. They can throw a party. Oh yeah, yeah. They have the awesome '90s light that rotates and has just multicolored jewels on it. I had at least one party that had that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Meanwhile, Paul's going to allow them to have this party because he bought the tickets to Everclear, and he finds Dora in one of the student dining halls where 
her, you know, she is a loser. She's just eating honey packets and drinking creamer cups because she can't afford food. Um, and he offers to walk her to her quote unquote job interview, which is really just her going to random places, filling out applications. Um, but he says, do you want to go to this Everclear show and provides her with a ticket? And they agree to meet there at nine 30. It is not to be, however. Oh no, no. This is where the movie starts getting dark. Quickly. Quickly. <laughs> just We both had to like consult with each other. Did this just happen? <laughs> because Mina Savari runs into one of uh, uh, Jason Biggs' ex-roommates, uh, who the party that they're throwing at the animal shelter, mm-hmm. they're saying that it's uh, um, some sort of charity event, right? Yeah. It's a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And so he invites her to the fundraiser, and... She, because she's also a nice girl, she's a nice person like Jason Biggs, she doesn't say no. She's like, okay, I'll stop by for like a little bit. And when she gets there, she gets roofied. Yes. It's Almost just, right away. Just because this movie had to be PG-13, I think that's the only reason that Jimmy Simpson doesn't actually take advantage of her. Yeah, because he gives her like some juice or something and it, it hits her hard right away. Yeah, she, st- she, she starts kind of like nodding off and her vision is blurry mm-hmm. and, and Jimmy Simpson Jimmy Simpson is about to pounce yeah. and then something else happens. He has to go somewhere else to the party. He, uh, Zach Orth's character needs him to uh, canoodle with his lady friend's larger female friend. Oh, right. He, he needs, he needs to a take one man. for the team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, the dialogue here is quite shocking. Uh, right. You, you, so far we've been having fun. Yeah. This was just, hey, from the, from the filmmaker that brought you Fast Times at Richmond High and Clueless, yeah. here comes another fun... Teenage comedy. And Jim C- Jimmy Simpson's just like, I got her roped in. She's good to go. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. I was like, well, holy shit. This is like Veronica Mars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Zach Orth's like, put her on the back burner. She can wait. And it's just like, good God almighty. Right. And, and then we were just, like I said. Because life gets other, real fast. Right. And we looked at each other and we're like, did, did she get roofied? <laughs> <laughs> and she did. That's what, literally, she confirms it later. Mm-hmm. She said, somebody must have roofied me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, uh, it doesn't get too bad because of in all the craziness, she just manages to escape to the bathroom and just pass out there. Yeah. Uh, but the unintended consequence is that Jason Biggs finds himself by himself mm-hmm. alone. At, at the, an Everclear show. Which, you know, there are worse things that could happen to you. Yeah. If you're going to be stood up, at least an Everclear concert, you can still have fun yeah, by yourself. At least yourself. you can hear Santa Monica still. I yeah. Mean, and can... he's surrounded by a crowd that's very much into it. Yeah. They're very happy. Uh, but after the show, he comes back to the shelter, and it is just an absolute disaster. The animals are running amok, um, and he finds Mina Savari. He doesn't recognize her first because she's just a crumpled mass around the toilet. Yeah, she's she's head first in the toilet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, she's unresponsive, and clearly something's wrong. Yeah, uh, Jason Biggs' reaction to this is a little bit like our reaction to, to realizing there was a roofy plotline here because at first he comes in. And he's cracking jokes yeah. through everything, even though he's been stood up and everything. He's still making jokes. He's like, hey, you got to wake up because I want to sleep. I want us to sleep together on our first date yeah, or yeah. whatever. And then when he realizes that she's passed out and she's not responding, then his face changes just like our face. Our faces change mm-hmm. when we realize that it had gotten this dark. It got real. Yeah. Yeah. He has to call 911. He does. Cut to the ambulance. Uh, But unlike Lost in Translation, this isn't a xenophobic scene of uh, racial intolerance. No. Instead, kind of to reassure us that everything is going to be okay, we get an awesome cameo from uh, Rat from from Fast Times at Richmond High. (laughs) who uh, I guess Hagerlin throws him a bone and he gets a couple scenes uh, as a doctor. We know already, but uh, Jason Biggs, Paul, and, you know, 
from that point on the trickle down effect learn of the relationship that's not really flushed out between Professor Alcott and Dora as he is next of kin on her emergency contact. <laughs> yeah, in the sweetest, most naive move, she listed him as her emergency contact. <laughs> Uh, and Paul basically says he's not sure why, but he then takes ownership and says it's a, he's her boyfriend, uh, and he found her this way, passed out, and so he'll take her home and take care of her. Yeah, he, he takes her back to the shelter and just basically watches her sleep. It's fucking Walk the Line, where just Reese Witherspoon watches uh, Ke- uh, Joaquin go through all the withdrawals. <laughs> and then he finally wakes up, and, he, and then this one... He hands her the cup of berries, and they just kind of have a conversation. Yeah, and you gotta, you got to give it to Mina Suvari because she is as resilient as Jason Biggs. She wakes up, and she is she very matter-of-factly pieces together what happens. She's like, I was applying for a job. This guy invited me to a fundraiser. I drank some orange juice, and then I woke up here. I must have been roofied. She doesn't have a panic attack or anything. No, she handles it with great aplomb. You can tell that she's been in New York far longer than uh, <laughs> than Jason Biggs. Oh, Jesus. Whoever, you know, I think uh, Amy Heckerling might have had a part in writing Jason Takes Manhattan because <laughs> they just hate New York City, I tell you what. Uh, because of this, Paul innocently lets slip that, you know, Alcott was the next of kin. And Adam, Noah, and Chris kind of take this and run with it. Yeah. Uh, they uh, – well, because Chris, uh, Tom Sadowski, he shows up to help him clean after the party. And uh, and leaves like two minutes later. Right. He's like, okay, you take care of this, but call me if you need me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, then he tells him and then uh, this makes it, the ex-roommates start hatching this plan to blackmail uh, Greg Kinnear, which is honestly – I like this movie, but it's also the most believable plot point mm-hmm. in it because it is a fantasy to think that somebody would be as nice a person as Jason Biggs. It's not a stretch at all to think that three teenage hoodlums in college would take the chance to blackmail the type the of people that are roofing roofing women would definitely blackmail a teacher. Absolutely, and then Kinnear's reaction to the whole thing is also completely believable. Yeah, and so there's that window into the real world that just anchors the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so basically, Paul tries to just update Alcott on Dora's condition, but he's just like, listen, I'll give you the same deal I gave the others. He doesn't really give a shit. Yeah, he's like, okay, you got an A, mm-hmm. whatever. And not being what Paul wants to hear because he's really taken a liking to Dora, he forges Professor Alcott's signature and delivers flowers to her. That is the, the most nice guy move ever. Yeah. Because he already knows that, that she's having an, an affair with him. He knows that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. But still, because he doesn't want her to be hurt now that he's, that she's recovering, he pretends that Professor Alcott sent her flowers or left flowers on her desk. It's an unbridled nice guy move. It's the kind of thing that lands you on the friend zone, and he'll come to learn that before the end of the movie. Absolutely. Um, which leads to the follow-up here a lot of friend dating they're spending a lot of time together they end up doing laundry together they even help give birth to a, a little kitten together again this movie every time you start getting a little comfortable it just throws you for a loop because they're coming back from just their night out mm-hmm. and then there's this what would you call that like half-born kitten on the floor well it's still in it's like Cocoon. placenta yeah right yeah but how's that happen i mean i've never you know i'm not an expert on uh 
cat reproduction. But... I don't know. We'd have to get Jason Biggs on the line. <laughs> yeah, because he's an expert. He is. Apparently, he's been taking he classes. He snaps into action. <laughs> yeah, he gets the scissors and he cuts the kitten out of the placenta. Mm-hmm. The entire time, Mena Suvari's freaking out. Uh, but in a way, they become parents. I mean, that's not even me trying to be funny about it. The rest of the movie, they talk about those kittens like they're their kids. Yeah, and they—they're able. He knows that if the kitten catches the human scent, the mother won't accept it. Yeah, that I knew. So that. I was—I appreciated the research because they could have just thrown this thing as 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 this sort of obstacle. Because oh, it just sounds cool, right? Mm-hmm. He there's like a kitten trapped in the placenta and he releases the kitten and then that's it but no they, they went the extra mile and got the details so he wears the gloves because he doesn't want his scent to get on the kitten mm-hmm. I think you need that because if you don't have Jason Biggs have these moments where he's shown to be resourceful then then he, he, you run the risk of him being just too gullible too, too much just of a, a nice guy like, like a country bumpkin type. right yeah. but no this is He's a resourceful guy. He's obviously he's smart. He's just too nice. Right. He's been paying attention, obviously, because he's not a vet student, but mm-hmm. he, now he's living at an animal shelter, so he's picked up some stuff, some skills. Dora finally lands a job uh, harvesting eggs, basically, for infertile couples. Uh, she's just getting shot full of hormones every <laughs> yeah, day. Talk about, like, a slap back to reality <laughs> again from the movie. She can't land any other job in New York City, so she's going to be, uh, once a month, they'll be performing a surgery to remove her eggs. Uh, donating them to infertile couples, and basically, she says it's going to pay you know way more than she expected. And through this, offers to take Paul out for a day on the town. Yeah, once again, Jason Biggs's face, his facial uh, reaction to hearing that she's going to be harvesting eggs, is the same face that I think I was making as I was watching the movie, and I heard that we'd gotten back like, into this this plot line. Mm-hmm. It's it's utter disbelief. <laughs> it's like I thought we were in a nice movie. <laughs> Uh, so Paul and Dora go out for a date, all on Dora, she, or a date, excuse me, in quotations. Uh, they go out and get coffee in Central Park. They steal a baguette together. Uh, they go to a production of Cabaret, Cabaret. with just a completely inexplicable cameo from Alan Cummings. Yep. We both turn to each other, Nightcrawler. <laughs> and that's the only time that you see him. It's mm-hmm. not like there's a scene later where he's he doesn't have any, like, dialogue nope. or anything. No, he's just singing and dancing, like, the show, but that's it. God bless him. Um, so is it the same night that Paul goes out to get the pizza or is this a few nights later? I think it's the same night. I think it's just like this big major date. They've had just thing. this wonderful day together. Right. And it's, it's going to, yeah, cause she's going to go home, mm-hmm. but she's not really going home. We know that she's going to go sleep on the, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the train station. Uh, and he's like, no, just stay one more day here and I'll go get a movie. So and, the, so I can get another cameo. Yeah, <laughs> I was say, he goes and gets flowers and a pizza, and like John Candy in Home Alone, like Sam Elliott and Up in the Air, here to tell us, you know, what it's really all about. We get David Spade coming back to the show. Uh, it's, it's his second appearance in The Contrarians. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this one way more powerful than the first. Oh yeah, no, here it's it's condensed. David Spade condensed. It's it's far more intense than you know whole movie yeah. worth of J- of David Spade because his wit and dialogue hits so much harder when it's just in a very brief period. Yeah, but it's one of the things that just much like Andy Dick, David Spade, you see him and his delivery and everything just screams two thousand. 
But unlike every other cameo in this movie, even today, with David Spade's delivery, you could totally buy him as a smarmy guy that works in a video store. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought him. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't buy Andy Dick as a guy that kept that job that he had in this movie for mm-hmm. more than a week because he's too much of an asshole. I would believe David Spade still works at that video store. Absolutely. Yeah, he's still he's still giving the same recommendations. He's still making the same jokes about mm-hmm. like what's going to get you laid and what's not going to get you laid. What was the movie he told him to settle on? Simon Birch. Yes. Which I haven't seen, but it's relevant because I think it's – well, I could be wrong. Is it directed by Jodie Foster? That sounds vaguely familiar. I think that might be her, her – if it's not, then we're, we're going to have to do some explaining later. <laughs> some explaining to do. Paul arrives back at the animal shelter to find that Professor Alcott is there, basically says that he's going to accept uh, Dora as his girlfriend and that she's allowed to move in with him. Yeah. he He gets – uh, he gets cock-blocked by Kinnear, which happens to the best of us. It does. Uh, he had a shot, though, for a while, because remember, I think when they're they're about to go on their date, and she walks in on uh, Jason Biggs changing his shirt. Yeah. And uh, so, But she's already slept with Kinnear, so it's not the first time she's seen a naked man or anything, mm-hmm. but I think it's the first time that she's maybe laid eyes on a naked average body. <laughs> She just discovers the wonder of the average man because Kinnear is in pretty good shape, but Jason Biggs is just like a normal dude. Yeah. And uh, but her face when she sees him shirtless—the wonders of a topless Jason Biggs. Yeah, it's just like, hey, I I could go with this. Uh, this obviously, Paul kind of sends him into a tailspin. He learns more and more about what had happened at the party, and turns out uh, because uh, Jimmy Simpson tries to basically sell him some roofies and explains to him what he does with these women. So Paul, being much smarter than them, basically raids their stash and fills it full of placebos. Yeah, I, I appreciated that f- for most of the running time of the movie, Biggs really tries to do a nonviolent uh, mm-hmm. approach to dealing with these problems, right? And so rather than confront them directly, what he does is he buys pills that look similar to the ones that they're using and swaps them. Mm-hmm. It's a very... Easy way to thwart their plans without really getting extremely and confrontational. Countless women, right? The pain and he's a goddamn hero, and nobody really thanks him about this. In this, he gets in a little bit of trouble, but no, nobody really says, "Hey, thanks for saving an entire party worth of uh, girls from being roofied and abused." Uh, so they catch on to what had happened, and your friend Tom. Sadowski. Tom Sada- Thomas Sadowski. Thomas Sadowski. Now, Tom, Tom back, Sadowski yeah. back then. Yeah. Uh, confronts him in the library about it, and it turns into a fist fight where fucking Jason Biggs kicks his ass. He kicks his ass, and it's so fucking satisfying because you did not see that coming. No. He's he's such a nice guy that you expect him to – he's not a New Yorker, so you no. think to go down quick. Yeah. Right? He gets a first shot because you can chuck it up to surprise, right? Yeah. He surprises Sadowski with, with, a, with a right hook, but then – this is this is such a perfect character detail. When he punches Sadowski, Sadowski slams into another student who goes down as mm-hmm. well, right? So then Biggs goes to help the other student because he's a nice guy. He's yeah. concerned that he just hurt somebody else. And Sadowski tries to hit him in the head with a laptop. Right. He just goes. He's he's going for the the, the dirty fight and uh and Biggs and, ducks and lands an uppercut to the liver. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh kicks his ass. And then goes back to helping the other guy. Mm. And that's what you remember, you know, like, country boys, like, they'll kick your ass. They, yeah. they, city people, they don't know anything. <laughs> uh, and through this, basically, it galvanizes his spirit where he goes and uh, talks with Professor Alcott about, uh, you know, his final grade, the tests, the situation with Dora. 
and he refuses the the easy A that is being offered to him. Yeah, he's like, I'm sorry, can you hear? It? That's an Emma Stone movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is looser, and I I will not compromise my morals. Uh, and now going back, this is a movie of, of great facial reactions because the the reaction f- shot from Greg Kinnear when he realizes that one that Biggs was never blackmailing him, yeah. and two that even now when he has the opportunity to get the A that he needs to keep his scholarship, it's gonna turn him down. It's such disbelief at the the idea that there could be such goodness in this world. <laughs> That Michael Keaton school of eyebrow acting. Yeah. He does a double take and then he laughs. He's like, do you realize that uh, this is actually a pretty good deal? This is what I'm giving you. And this is where we get our one fuck of the film. Right. He says, I don't think that's a good idea. He says, I don't give a fuck what you think. (laughs) He storms out. Is that the Jason Biggs Oscar clip? Yes, absolutely. Because this is also the scene where he finds uh, Alcott canoodling with another student. Right. It starts with another student coming out of Alcott's uh, office. It's basically all these things that Paul could use as ammo and just refuses to. He takes the high road. He's a proud man. Yep. Uh, and through all this, um, Dora, you know, through Alcott and his explaining the situation, she learns the truth about everything. She also learns that, you know, she's never going to really be his girlfriend and also that uh, he didn't send that note or those flowers when she was sick. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to take her to meet her his parents, but not as his girlfriend, as his, his assistant. Teaching assistant. Yeah, and uh, he takes her shopping in a very twisted version of the Pretty Woman montage yeah. where – they're just fitting. He goes to like Big the mistake. Yeah. huge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's really weird. He takes her to this uh, clothing store where they're supposed to, I guess, change her look, and then they dress her as a horse a, jockey, right? But then it's like they did that. You know, it's it's not like she wanted to. The, mm-hmm. the store does that, but then when she comes out looking ridiculous, he makes fun of her like it was her fault, mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of his undoing. Because you can tell by now that he thinks that he has her to where there's no way that she'll ever leave him. Yeah. And uh, he makes the the key mistake of telling her about his meeting with Jason Biggs, where Jason Biggs refused the A and took the moral high ground. And all the, and then he even says, turns out he was never blackmailing me. <laughs> and Kinnear just basically kills himself with his mm-hmm. own words. And so that segues to the final scene of the film where Mina Savari goes to the animal shelter and we find – Current Jason Biggs. Yeah. <laughs> he cut off his bangs and he's just got Jason Biggs hair. Yeah. It's like we joked. This was that reshoot that, w- that happened while he was doing uh, either American Pie 2 or uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. When he was just always cast as the happenstantially Jewish character. Yep. Uh, and she's there to – she has a pizza and she wants to, you know, just watch the movie with him and everything. And he kind of has, you know, his breakdown of I, I can't be friends with you. He has his moment, his, his big moment of I do not like the friend zone. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll take I'll take this moment to just – have you have you seen like the, the people that are offended about the term friend zone? No. No? It, it's a thing apparently. And I uh, – which, I mean, I, I see where they're coming from but I also think that you this – a silly thing to argue about, like the term friend zone, but uh, because some people, some some girls take it as, oh, what you say, what you call the friend zone is what we call just being friends with a guy, mm-hmm. and in you calling it friend zone means that we are that you are uh, implying that a guy can't be friends with a girl, that the guy automatically needs something, that and that the girl owes him something if she wants to hang out with him. Yeah. I was like, no, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that sometimes you have a crush on a girl, and 
and you just can't get past being her friend. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the girl owes you anything. That just no. means that sometimes shit happens. Uh, in this case, Jason Biggs actively works himself into the into the friend zone. Yes. <laughs> so he is to blame. Not Mina Suvari. Uh, she's very open with him from the very beginning. She tells him. For all her shortcomings, well, none of this is her fault. No. I mean, she pretty early on tells him that she's dating the yeah. teacher. So uh, it's his choice to still go out with her, even though he has feelings. And uh, and then at the very least, you know, he comes to terms with it here at the end of the movie, where at least he's honest mm-hmm. and he puts his cards on the table and says, I can't keep doing this thing where we just hang out because I – I want more. <laughs> I can't have pizza with you. Yeah. <laughs> I can't have pizza with you. It's a great line. Inevitably, you know, they talk about their feelings with each other, and it leads to Mina Savari kissing him. And the moment I've always remembered from the trailer, he says, what was that? And she says, a kiss. He says, you call that a kiss? That's in the trailer? Yeah. They spoiled the, the ending of the movie in the trailer? I remember. I, I'm trying to remember what movie. It, it might be on my Saving Silverman VHS. It's one of the... <laughs> Uh, out now on VHS clips, and that's the, how the, the preview ends. Oh, so they're assuming that you already watched the movie, you know how it ends, and they just want to remind you of the cool... Well, they're already assuming I'm on the Biggs bandwagon. <laughs> right. I have Saving Silverman, so... <laughs> they know that you follow his career very carefully, theatrically. For the window of time that it existed. Yes. yes. Uh, like a bottle rocket in the night. Just you know, he's in that movie uh, with... Uh, is it Good Luck Chuck? No, it's not Good Luck Chuck, right? Uh, no, he's not in that. That movie's terrible. But there's, I think there's, he's in a movie with uh, with that guy, that comedian, Dan Fogler. No, Dan the real, Cook? the real comedian. Dan Cook. Yes, he's in a movie called My Best Friend's Girl. Okay, in that Kate movie, Hudson. yes, in that movie where he gets his eyebrow shaved. Yeah, right. They talk about desperation to just <laughs> remain relevant in the, uh, but. Maybe that's I don't know when that movie happened, but you know maybe that's what he was shooting when when uh, he came back for the reshoots and Loser. Uh, that was... No, that's late in his career. Yeah, right. Yeah, that would have been like oh seven. No, that would have been like oh nine, two thousand ten. It's just him grasping with like one pinky. <laughs> he also played the half-instantial gay best friend in two thousand eight over her dead body. Haven't seen it. Oh, but... dude, Paul Rudd, Lake Bell, Eva Mendez. Oh, uh, Paul no, Rudd. Excuse Paul, me, Ava Longoria. Paul Rudd is a ghost, right? No, Ava Longoria is a ghost. Okay, I saw the trailer. It's did not see Biggs in it. No, oh, yeah, he's he's in it. That would have if they put him in the trailer. That would have maybe maybe consider watching it. Yes, that's a lie. But <laughs> we're we're bleeding heavily over the real talk. <laughs> yes, we are. So so well, but the thing is, so he escapes the friend zone, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's good because you know these were two nice kids, two really nice kids that deserved each other, mm-hmm. and uh, and they actually found happiness. So even though it has its dark times, this story actually comes to a very happy ending. That's life, love, also. Yeah, yeah. The New York dream. We got yeah. It shows that New York will get rough. If you move to New York, but eventually, if you persevere and you believe in the goodness of the human spirit, you'll mm-hmm. you'll come through. The bad guys will get punched, uh, the the creepy professors will get dumped, and uh, and then the good people will will end up together. And the drugs will get thrown in the trash. Yeah, he throws the drugs in the trash. He could have gotten him in big trouble. Could have like taken the police, but uh, he's no, better he's, than that. he's better than that. He's Jason Biggs. Excuse me. Hello. Excuse me. What's up? Uh, okay, uh, of the, of these two, which would, which would be good for me and, and, uh, you, you know, if I was watching alone with a girl. Yeah, there you go. 
When Harry met Sally, could you maintain a rod and watch Billy Crystal at the same time? Nah, don't feel bad. No one can. The piano. I don't know. Full frontal on Harvey Keitel. Not good. No, that dude's 90% wiener. Really? Yeah, even on the small screen, that's gonna hurt you. Here's your winner. Simon Birch. About a little goofy kid with problems. Can't go wrong, you look like a stud. And, uh, this is, this is sexy, good for the girl. Yeah, works for me. Real talk for Loser. Loser is just a teenage dirtbag. Uh, baby. Baby. Loser was released July 21st, 2000, prime summer placement. Had a budget of $20 million, which majority of that, you have to believe, went to the Everclear cameo. I thought you were going to say it went to Jason Biggs, <laughs> rising star. The box office return of $18 million, a little over $18 million, So uh, didn't exactly, I don't think, do the business it was expected to after fucking American Pie broke the fucking bank the summer before. Um, let's see here. That just kind of proves that the reason people went to watch American Pie was because somebody had sex with an, Amer- with an apple pie, <laughs> not because Jason Biggs and, really and, captured their... <laughs> and Eugene Levy was in it. That's that's true. Written and directed by Amy Heckerling, who, of course, mentioned Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, let's see. Look Who's Talking. Look Who's Talking 2. Clueless. Uh, let's see. And also directed an episode of The Office. Which one? Oh, uh, the Hot Girl. The sixth episode from the first season. Uh, Amy Adams? Mm-hmm. Nice. Excellent. And also directed an episode of Gossip Girl. Uh, whatever the case, obviously, in her own right, uh, an accomplished filmmaker. Now, this one did not... Again, do too well. Um, before you go into those who liked it, since we did cover those who didn't, the only truly interesting piece of trivia I found was this little excerpt from IMDb that states, uh, in a February 2017 feature at The Ringer that interviewed Amy Heckerling and wrote about her entire film career, Heckerling said that the main reason the film failed is the studio insisted it be delivered as a PG-13 film, even though it was intended by everyone else from Heckerling to the since-departed studio executives who greenlit the project as an R-rated comedy. The studio said the R-rated comedies weren't welcomed by enough audiences and forced the film to be watered down considerably. Heckerling said the movie failed because audiences could tell it was not doing what it was intended to do. That is insane because Agreed. American Pie is rated R, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say, if it's PG thirteen, that's a horde. <laughs> yeah. So how can you make that argument when you're using the guy that's the star of American Pie? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's crazy. That what R-rated comedies are rejected? Right. Yeah. It's like American Pie. Just just now, <laughs> it just happened <laughs> six months ago. <laughs> uh, that is insane, and it kind of explains maybe a little bit of those detours into darker territory that this movie takes. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, they wouldn't feel so jarring if you were going into full R mode the entire time. Uh, I don't know, but we'll get to that. Yeah, let's see who liked it. Uh, Who liked it? Charles Taylor from Salon.com says, Biggs, who will probably always be known as the pastry porker in American Pie, (laughs) is so good he doesn't have to push for sympathy. Jay Carr from the Boston Globe says, it's enjoyable. John Monahan from Detroit Free Press says, Heckerling hasn't lost her eye for what makes teens tick. Dustin Putman from TheFilmFile.com says, boosting a smart, savvy screenplay 
and a bright young cast, Amy Heckerling succeeds in telling an oft-told story by writing characters who may be flawed but are good-hearted inside and often out. Chris Wagner from Dallas Morning News says, There's a beating heart beneath the cynical skin and spotty narrative. And finally, David Elliott from San Diego Union Tribune says, It sure is stuffing. What? I have no idea what he's talking about. It wasn't even a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah. I don't know. I... Um, David, were you in drugs? Did and you Rod- take the roofies? <laughs> and Roger Ebert... Uh... His review said the movie was completely unremarkable, but he was quite impressed with Greg Kinnear. As we were. Yes. I think you could point at Kinnear as probably the best thing in the movie. One of the fan reviews I read on IMDb was just like, extremely predictable, but parts of it were still enjoyable. I mean, you could say that. I I, I don't know that extremely predictable, because it really threw me for a loop a couple of times. The Rufus thing was pretty weird. The Rufus thing, the, the egg harvesting... Uh, it feels like there was a darker movie trying to come out of this. Uh, you know, the story of uh, this this out-of-towner coming to New York and really getting fucked by the city uh, <laughs> and meeting this girl that's been here a little longer, but his, she's... Acclimated. But not even that. I mean, she's still getting, like, she's... Her eggs wet? Well, yeah. She's, you know, she's living on the streets, basically, and being taken advantage by her teacher, it's it's all a lot harsher than say clueless <laughs> <laughs> or look who's talking. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I can kind of when I read that excerpt about how she said it was watered down significantly, you can see the the bones or the skeleton of a much more I- interesting and darker movie. That all being said, I don't think the cast they had could have pulled it off. <laughs> This could have been Jason Biggs's uh, trampoline to a, a, a bigger degree His of acting. Suicides, right? This is what takes him to. This His is thirteen. This is what would have made him uh, get past the whole pie fucking thing, mm-hmm. but it didn't happen because they made it PG thirteen. Maybe I don't know. Uh, it it just uh, and some of the tones are so inconsistent with the humor they're going for that it's yeah yeah. I really don't know. I my main problem with the movie is that. It shouldn't be called loser. It should be called idiot, mm-hmm. because there is there is such a thing as being too nice. And I think the moment that he lets them have a party at the animal shelter, I just completely stop taking him seriously. He is not a real person yeah. anymore. He, it's almost made worse by the fact that he acknowledges, he talks to them, and he says, "I don't believe you. This sounds like a trick." But then he still lets it happen, mm-hmm. and. Uh, from then on, I just I'll watch the movie. I'll have a few laughs with it. I'll appreciate Kinnear's performance and uh, Sadowski's performance. I thought he was he was really good, mm-hmm. uh, but I couldn't really get into the Jason Biggs character. I, who I don't know what you're trying to sell me here, but his character is just so such a goody two shoes and so naive, and it's just frustrating to see him not learn from his experiences. Uh, what happened with Jason Biggs was that whole American Pie typecasting, and they. I think everyone assumed he needed to be a leading man um, for, like, teen comedies or some Mm -hmm. shit. Do you like Saving Silverman? I haven't seen it. I fucking love Saving Silverman. Who does? I think it's Eddie that doesn't like it. He doesn't like it? Yeah. It's, yeah, one of those fuckers. But um, he he barely has any, like, real lines in it. He's, like, the side character. Uh Like, he's all over. He's, like, the titular character. But it's all Jack Black and Steve Zahn. And so, like, uh, that's obviously where the comedy is. And 
I think uh, Jason Biggs as the neurotic straight man is fantastic. The Jason Alexander type character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's because, yeah, he, he is, as a straight man, that's not the main character in the movie. Mm-hmm. That works better. Maybe what we found out in Loser is that a movie where Jason Biggs is playing the Jason Biggs type as a protagonist. And that's it. Right. We don't have any, like, cascading cast at all around it. I mean, you have the the his roommates... But they're just like pure evil, right? We don't. Have I like mean, they're Stifler fun. Or you know, <laughs> yeah, Chris Klein. Yeah, uh, and Greg Kinnear is great. And I, I appreciated what they were doing the, with the Minasavari character. As mm-hmm. far as she is not uh, the uh, what do you call it, the manic pixie dream girl no, type. No, no, no. And she's also not the she's all that where she's just like a dork but is hot type thing. Right. No, she's just this severely damaged person mm-hmm. that also seems kind of clueless and i buy her being clueless i see what you did there oh i wasn't even trying <laughs> um i buy her being this clueless more than i buy jason biggs's uh uh, uh i don't know being clueless because she's being clueless out of love mm-hmm. so to speak which happens to everybody and that's i can relate you know it's like you have a real crush on someone you look past their flaws and uh, but Biggs, it's not like he's in love with uh, with his roommates. Mm-hmm. So when they take advantage of him over and over again, that it doesn't really track. Uh, but Minasavari, I buy her 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 story more than I buy Biggs's, and I think that she comes out better mm-hmm. in the movie. As far as even with with all the stuff, it could drive you crazy that she's dating Greg Kinnear through all of this, but. She comes across as more believable, mm-hmm. uh, and because she's not trying so hard to be cool. Uh, she, she, she's more interesting, I think, overall. And the whole uh, offshoot of what we do with movies like this, where you and I try to find pieces of movies that work or are good, despite the movie overall kind of falling on its side. I think yeah, you can definitely say Greg Kinnear, and then also um, the Alan Cummings cameo is just really cool. <laughs> And the, I wonder if he was actually doing cabaret somewhere in New York, and, and they're, they're like, "Can like, we just shoot yeah. this one scene?" Uh, and then with the out of all the other ones, I thought the David Spade one worked the best, just because he's the most believable. I, I really fucking hate Andy Dick. I, I don't. Oh yeah, him. no, Andy Dick. I don't care for him as big a turn off comedian, an actor, or a human being. I don't care about for that man at all. So wouldn't it be sad though if it was all an act and he was actually the nicest person ever? He's a Jason Biggs I don't in real shit. life. All that shitty. Uh, you know, shit he's said about Phil Hartman and stuff. I, I have no... Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So fuck that guy. No, I've always thought of him just as this kind of shock value comedian, and I really don't care for that kind of stuff. Which, the, that... quick sidebar, where, when did he ever do anything of, like, relevance that gave him, like, notoriety? Did he have a... Uh, he, make... he might have, like, an MTV show. Or right, something? I was going to say, is there an Andy yeah. Dick show, or was he just part of the Ben Stiller show? No, he did... He, there was the Ben Stiller show, that's what he was a part of, and then he eventually did... In the wake of the Tom Green show, he had the Andy Dick show. It took Tom Green coming along, <laughs> which I still maintain one of these days. Tom Green's going to do something like incredible. And He's going to come back and, and do like an Oscar performance type thing. Where is he? What is he doing? I don't he know. He went back to Canada. You want to talk about 50? Like that's all that's missing from this. That's why I love um, Road Trip. It encapsulates everything about that period in time, and it, it even has Tom Green in it. That's what makes it so great. I I doubt that the soundtrack to Road Trip is it's not as, as good as this. Okay, yeah. this this is just all you the don't hits. Like Road Trip, do you? Uh, I wouldn't watch it again. Oh, I mean, I'll watch oh. it for this show, but I wouldn't, you know, put it's, uh, my Tom Phillips. 
Who? Oh, Todd Phillips. Yeah. Todd Phillips. Excuse me. Tom Phillips is <laughs> WWE play-by-play man. Um, it's it's okay. Would you watch Road Trip or Hangover Two if you had to choose between the two? Probably Hangover Two. Ugh. It has it Road has, Trip or Hangover Three. Road Trip. <laughs> <laughs> Dick. Um, it's it's the truth. I I'm answering with my heart. That's fine. That's what real talk is for. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the David Spade cameo I thought worked really well, and I mean, yes, yeah, so much of this is just in its time. But they're also we didn't touch on in uh, Contrarian's corner because there's no real way to do that. There are some really weird, off-putting, homophobic, and uh, yeah, sexist things. And I movie. don't know if that's is that a reflection of the times or is that a uh, just Heckerling trying to capture uh, what it's like to be in college in. I, just being insensitive like that. I think it's probably both, but more on the side of of the times because I'm as liberal as they come. But there's also like uh, way more PC protection now that it is shocking to hear in a movie a character say, "Oh, that's so gay." To another right. one, right? Yeah. And you know, if I had footage of myself as a 14 year old kid, I could see, <laughs> you know, oh, that's so gay. Like, yeah, I, I I guess so. I think we're just that's another way in which the movie dates itself. Yeah. Um, That's a good way of putting it. It's not. I don't think any harm was meant by it. Or right. Like no. That. I think and it and especially it's time. And it's all all those instances of uh, of on PC humor. It, they're coming from the unlikable characters. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the roommates being assholes one way or another. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, Jason Biggs is too good. Like too too good of a character. Too nice. Too much of a nice guy. I think to be interesting. No fault. Right. He's just. Uh, he's just. Constantly being taken advantage of. I guess his his one fault is that he can't see that it, that that's happening. But and then that's what disengages a viewer is for as much. I think if anything, the majority of our takeaway of enjoyment was all nostalgia based, right? And um, but in the moment when you try to watch something and connect with it, it's my dad's a his, the argument he's used since I was a kid of why he hates friends. The no woman would like the Ross Geller character. <laughs> Too nice, you know, no fault, that type of thing. I think I buy Rachel falling for him because they have a history. Okay. But you get the, the other, point I'm trying to Oh make. yeah, absolutely. I just like I buy uh uh Savari falling for Jason Biggs eventually in this movie mm-hmm. because she has the opportunity to spend time with him and he's uh he's just a nice guy, but mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It it just didn't seem as fun. Even part of it's probably because of the tonal uh, shifts, and part of it because of Jason Biggs' character. But it just the other two movies I've seen from Amy Heckerling, Fast Times, and uh, and Clueless, they move You're a lot faster. I ha- well, actually, I think I might have seen it a long time ago in, the, in Spanish. So where's Here's the baby? The be so hot. How about Travolta? Oh, God, Uber. yes. <laughs> but I also own Saturday Night Fever on Blu-ray, so if I ever need to, I can just plug that in. That I can like objectively judge Fast Times and, uh, and Clueless. And I'm not even a big fan of Fast Times. Uh, I think that it pales in comparison to uh, uh, what's the, the movie from the director of Boyhood? Um, Dazed and Confused? Dazed and Confused. I got a real Dazed and Confused vibe when I was watching Fast Times, but Dazed and Confused is so much better. Richard Linklater. Rachel Ladder. There you go. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I mean, I watched it pretty recently. I recorded it off uh, cable and uh, I was having fun with it, but mm-hmm. it just felt like it wasn't connecting and hitting as hard as Days and Confused. But still, I think it works better than Looser because 
it's more fast paced. I think it just I, I don't know. There's there's if everybody if every character was as interesting or as charming as, as compelling as a Greg Kinnear character in Loser, then I think maybe we'd have something. Uh, but there's long chunks of the movie that are devoted to just Menasvari and Jason Biggs dating. Yeah. And they're so nice to each other that it's like, okay, that's good for you kids, but I need something to keep things interesting. Yeah. And you guys won't get in a fight or anything. You're just having a good time. And then they kiss and the movie ends, literally. Like, <laughs> yes. that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even when she finds out that when she mistakenly assumes... Or Kinnear mistakenly assumes that Biggs is trying to blackmail him, blackmail him as well, and tells her. She never confronts him about it because she's too nice to do that. Uh, which would have been an interesting scene. Uh, you could have said, "Oh, well, that's kind of obvious, uh, formulaic, or whatever." But it was more interesting. It would have been more interesting than what we got, which yeah. was them just kind of keeping it to themselves, and then eventually it all gets sorted out. That all being said, it's an easy watch. Oh yeah, I mean. We've watched much worse. We've watched much longer. Yes. We did last week. They sit at 24%? Hell no. No. I mean, this would be a good like middle-of-the-road thing, yeah. you know? Uh, but I think that maybe the the Biggs fan base and the uh, Minosvari fan base was not there to even up the score mm-hmm. even that much. I'm curious. What, now, continue. I'm going to see what Saving Silverman did at the box office just to see if the, the Biggs factor actually didn't work at all. <laughs> the Biggs factor. I mean, that's... Is there anybody that goes and watches a movie because Jason Biggs is in it? I would tomorrow if something came out. <laughs> if he was in that Geostorm movie coming out, I would be there just solely based on that. If he was the main character or if he was a supporting character? Oh, no, character? supporting. Oh. I can't, I can't do any Biggs vehicles anymore. <laughs> Uh, last time I saw him in anything was in uh, uh, what's it Netflix show Orange is New Black he he's not there anymore I don't think he is in it but I know he was at least through the first season mm-hmm. uh, and I mean he he had a part he played it well I I think he's he's a good everyman yeah uh, it's just that it's an unfortunate ca- case of just immediate typecasting Right. When American Pie did so well, it's like, all right, we're just going to cast this guy as a weaselly Jewish character. And I'm not at all trying to be anti-Semitic. That's literally, like, I think every role he's in, it's implied that he's Jewish. Or with the exception of Loser, because he's just a country bumpkin. So the budget for Saving Silverman was $22 million. The reason for that extra $2 million is because Neil Diamond was in that movie. (laughs) Uh, And had a box office of twenty seven, so it it did better than Loser did. Um, but still, I but guess Jason Biggs never set the world on fire. Right. Well, but also you have Steve Zahn and Jack Black. Yes, that's very true. Uh, American Pie. How do you feel about those movies? Um, I like the first not one. Just him. Oh, just the first one. Yeah, I I've seen the second one. Didn't care for the second one. I haven't seen the third one, and uh, the fourth one is atrocious. Uh, for the American Reunion. Yeah, this were like that one came out just a few years ago. Right. Yeah, it's it, really bad. It's like uh, Lethal Weapon 4 in the sense of uh, we're getting too old for this shit. It's just them kind of like sitting around and watching the young girls run around. Oh, okay. So that that's where it is. The budget for American Pie 2 was $30 million and the box office was just $290 million. <laughs> So Biggs, you know, I'm sure he's living comfortably. Right. But it's not – you don't go see American Pie 
because of Jason Biggs, exactly. You remember American Pie because of Jason Biggs. Most of the people in our age bracket, if you brought up American Pie, they would say uh, Stifler. Yeah, or Tara Reid. Because remember when Tara Reid was like the hottest thing on earth? That was, again, a snapshot of a... Of the 2000s. Now we're just... I'm going down the rabbit hole here. So, American Pie 2 was $30 million, uh budget. The first American Pie was just a little over 10 So, <laughs> so those actors' stocks rose that much. Uh, the first one, a little over $10 million for the budget. Box office, uh, $236 million. So, yeah. I remember that was just like a juggernaut when it came out. Yeah. But okay, look at the last one. I mean, the last one is a. It's almost like does anybody care that they're getting no. married? Uh, and all it all it came. Oh out. no no it's it's not American reunion. It's American wedding. Or it's American wedding. The third one. That's the third one. Oh okay, so that's the one I haven't seen. Maybe yeah. I've seen them all. They blur together. It's nobody has sex with any pastries anymore. <laughs> it just it happens in the first one, and then after that, it's just pale imitations. Oh wow, it's still American reunion. Box office uh, budget fifty million. Box office two hundred thirty-five million. Okay, fuck them. What the hell? That movie. That movie sucked. <laughs> it was everyone that was once young wanted to go back. And- That's just a nostalgia thing. You just keep going, hoping that you'll see Jason Biggs. Fuck a bagel Absolutely. or something. Yeah, that's that's why any fucking movie that they put the Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the Thirteenth tag on, they know they'll break even at least, if not make money, because people are going to see it because of that shit. I guess you can add that to it. Halloween? Put <laughs> Too soon. Uh, can put Jason Biggs on that list. So, Jason Biggs in a horror movie. Jason Biggs in the next Nightmare on Elm Street. That's what we need to see. Jesus Christ. Hey, it's me, Freddy. <laughs> I'm not saying he has to be Freddy. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> he can be the guy. He can be the guy that gets killed like second to last. <laughs> what would his dream be? He's fucking a pie. He's fucking a pie. Eats him it, and yeah. turns into Freddy. <laughs> Why don't they pay us to do this shit? Come on. Um, but yeah, it, it's the tonal inconsistencies, and also it's not just this. There, a lot of movies we've watched do not age well. Yeah, uh, I mean, who would you recommend this movie to? Somebody that wants to have a, a, a quick nostalgia yeah, trip. Yeah, someone within our age bracket that would get all the references and music and stuff like that, but. Yeah, I, I even though I I know that Greg Kinnear was the best part of the movie. To me, the most fun I had was watching uh, Thomas Sadowski and Jimmy Simpson being so young and still displaying talent that yeah, that the, could, could show that they were gonna have a career. Any fans of Always Sunny because right. the, the McPoyles, I think. I'm not like the biggest Sunny fan, but I think the McPoyles are regarded as like <laughs> some of the highlights of the series, like their episodes. And anyone that likes that, it's like, okay, Liam McPoyle, he's really young and acts a lot like a McPoyle in this movie, so check it out. <laughs> McPoyle. I don't even know. I don't watch It's Always Sunny. So oh, dude. Yeah. I, I know he's in it, and I've seen clips. They're like this super inbred, really just greasy, dirty family, <laughs> the McPoyles. Yeah. Uh, there's really not much more it. to <laughs> say. Yeah, yeah. I think that rest in peace, Jason Biggs. We've talked Jason Biggs to death. I, he has a comeback in him. I hope so. Him and Mina Suvari. I mean, she's also. I haven't seen her in anything in a long no. time. Uh, Jason Biggs is the definition of a nostalgia run for me, though. If he ever had a comeback, <laughs> I would just go see everything he did, just because it's Jason Biggs. A comeback. He'll have his wrestler. His wrestler is ahead of him still. <laughs> he. uh there's one UFC event from like 2004, 5, maybe even the latest 6 
where he was the front row celebrity and he has like his fucking um shit what are those hats that ll cool j wears the the backwards cabbie hat or whatever um and he's wearing like this tan suit and it's like oh the a-list star is in attendance tonight. <laughs> talk about something that ages poorly so we have one more episode to go in our female filmmaking arc. We are going to be watching Big. Big. It's a big finale. It is. It's a great movie, but we'll find what's wrong with it, and I don't think we'll have any problem doing so. <laughs> oh, no. There's there's, there's some a disturbing lot. shit going on yes, in the movie. Yes, I'm hoping we can go beyond the, the easy shot of, uh, <laughs> hey, this is, uh, this is kind of a, uh, what do you call it? Child molestation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Uh, but our plan is to have my sister on for that, the uh, roommate of mine, who oftentimes we have to edit around her making food in the kitchen. <laughs> Director on that, Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall. We're hitting all the big names. We are. And and like I said, hopefully we can get to Jodie Foster as a bonus episode for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Are we just going to watch Taxi Driver again? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll put the filter of the holidays on it. So, <laughs> uh, so that will do it for... Uh, loser. It's pretty straightforward. Um, before we get into plugs, our normal uh, festive years, providing our opening and closing themes, uh, questions, comments, concerns. If you love Jason Biggs, hate him, love the nostalgia trip. Any songs you think they missed that would have per perfectly encapsulated the summer of 2000? If you can email us the complete soundtrack list, I mm -hmm. would appreciate it. And we can just like mark off how many we recognize. There were a couple that I didn't know what mm -hmm. they were. Uh, Oh, they had the, she's so high, yeah. <laughs> Literally every music cue would make us laugh. Yeah. Even when I didn't know the song, I knew it was the 2000s. <laughs> I, could, I, I was like, I remember hearing this on the radio. Yeah. Uh, but that's at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. If you're Jason Biggs, feel free to, <laughs> to write. He's fucking writing his cease and desist right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually laughing, though. I read those box office returns off for those American Pie movies. Yeah, he's uh, he's he just pilled his beer while he was laughing, and he's drying it with $100 bills. <laughs> yeah, or just all the fucking loser memorabilia that never went anywhere. Uh, all the loser hats. <laughs> they sent them to critics as part of... I'm just picturing Roger Ebert in one of those flap hats right now. Okay, so brings us to plugs. My plug for this episode is a YouTube series called Hot Ones. Are you familiar with Hot Ones? Is that the one with uh, Elijah Wood? No. No, that was what I was talking about last time over okay. the Garden Wall. Okay. The cartoon that I watched. Okay, because you said next time we'll uh... – <laughs> Okay. So that that's a very strange show, so I'm not really sure if I put it into plugs. I was going to give an update <laughs> on it. but Okay. Uh, over the Garden Wall is uh, was a Cartoon Network just miniseries. There's just ten episodes, and basically just tied it all up. And it's so so hard to talk about without completely like spoiling anything because it you have no idea where you're going. And then the last three episodes just fucking take you an absolute tizzy. Um, it's interesting. It's you can watch the entire series in less than two hours. Wow. So yeah. that's what I like to hear. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it just because it is very thought provoking. Uh, the voice acting is fantastic, and there's so much catchy fucking music on it. It's like kind of a musical, not really. Um, but that I'm still trying to process mentally, so I'm not sure if I can give that like a full plug. Um, it's a half half a plug. Yeah, you don't go all the way in on the plug. You just just the like, tip, just the tip on the plug. Sometimes it'll turn it'll off. Spark a little bit. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, my plug for this week is Hot Ones. It's a YouTube series. Um, it's an interview. It's like a fucking 
interview show. They get celebrities on there. They interview them. But the gimmick of the show is they have 10 chicken wings in front of them, and they um, start with basically sriracha or Tabasco, and they go up increments of the Scoville scale until they get to, like, like the hottest sauce that they can have. Uh-huh. Um, and it's not just, you know, there are gimmick people, and they're like Steve-O and um, who else have I seen on there? Uh, Action Bronson. That one was fucking fantastic. <laughs> Uh, but also like Neil deGrasse Tyson's on it, um, Jim Gaffigan. There's a really great one with Nick Kroll. Seeing how they react to this, and the host of it, I'm blanking on his name unfortunately, but he um, he's used to it. He does cooking shows and spice challenges, and so he's able to like basically mentally prepare himself for all them. So he's still able to ask like lines of questioning and just it's not just like random shit. Like he's trying to carry on interviews with these people as they're going through it. <laughs> And um, how much time do they get between wings? Um, well, I'm not sure how long the whole recording is, but the oh, the, they cut the episodes are usually between 20 and 30 minutes on okay. YouTube, and it's just a fascinating look at you know those that are able to handle it, those that aren't, and also just um, it's also kind of an interesting social experiment because they're asked these questions when they're in like moments of desperation, <laughs> and so like their responses are always kind of interesting. Um, it's very easy to binge. Also, the one with Neil deGrasse Tyson is amazing. That's, that's when you slip and you admit that you've cheated or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I've been watching that for a while, and I've just—it's never dawned on me to plug it on here. But if you haven't watched Hot Ones, start doing so because it's a really fascinating uh, web series. Is it Top Ones or the Hot Ones? Hot Ones. Oh, Hot Ones. Okay. The, the show with. Uh, Hot questions and even hotter wings, I think is what they say. <laughs> Dude, I'll be out by the second set of wings because yeah. I, I just I can't handle. There's a Guy Fieri one, too, that's fantastic because he's, like, doing okay until it gets to the last three. And then he starts, you know, sweating and looking like the fat one from ICP. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, keeping with uh, sort of uh, the spices in our plugs, there's this podcast that I discovered because they started following me. Nice. And... Uh, it's the post- the podcast is called I Love Queso So Much and it's an Austin-based podcast and their uh, their mission statement is they're going to review every queso that gets sold in Austin. Awesome. Yeah, so they every episode it, they're really short bite-sized episodes like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And every episode they go to a restaurant and they get an order of queso. Sometimes if there's different options they'll get maybe two separate ones and uh and then they'll review it and so they review the queso they review the tortilla chips and they review the price. At halfway through the episode, they take a break for sponsors, but they don't have any sponsors, so they make up a fake sponsor. <laughs> and it's always like one of the best parts of the episodes. Just they come up with really funny stuff. And I just I've been binging them because you know they're really small episodes, so usually I can listen to two on my way to work and then two on the way back. Uh, the best thing was. Around episode 10 or so, they mentioned they find one that they're like, okay, this is the best one that we've done so far. And I happened to go to that restaurant uh, a couple of days ago, and I had it. Basically, I ordered that queso just based on their recommendation. It was really fucking good. Where was it? Uh, queso with a K. Okay. And uh, and the queso they recommended is called Don Queso. It has, like, steak on it, oh, and uh, yeah. it's so good. <laughs> uh but anyway, it's good because – so I started listening to them thinking it was going to be funny, just just funny mm-hmm. because the idea of reviewing every case in Austin is ridiculous. Yeah. And so I thought it was just going to be them being funny about it. But yes, it is funny, but they also 
actually review it. Mm-hmm. So there is some value beyond the laughter. <laughs> and uh, I'm eagerly waiting to get to the Chipotle uh, queso review. Because have you heard about the Chipotle queso? It's supposed to be like rank, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, so I, I can't wait for them. I mean, they have it. I just haven't gotten to that episode yet. Uh, I frequent Chipotle because it's right by my office downtown. Have you gotten the queso? No. Oh. They've well, offered this several times. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My fiance and her friends like they went and got it once and she said that it was it sucked <laughs> and uh, she told me about that and then i i found this podcast and i sent her a screenshot of the episode and i was like i'm gonna get to this <laughs> but i have to make yet. this happen yeah uh it's uh it's pretty funny because i think that they've actually posted about it and they got a, a twitter response from chipotle nice trying to just say, oh, well, you know, it's because we have natural ingredients or whatever. And they were like, well, if we cared about being healthy, we wouldn't be eating queso in the first <laughs> place. <laughs> so anyway, really, really fun podcast, really easy to listen to. If you live in Austin, it's even better, you know, because you actually know some of the places they're talking to. Mm-hmm. Half the places they visit, I have no idea where they are. But then some of them are easy, like Torchies or Magnolia Cafe or Kirby Lane. I mean, I know those. Yeah, uh, They haven't done the Alamo Draft House yet. Which I think they should. I don't know if I've had their queso. Really? Yeah. You go to the Alamo almost as I much get, as I do. Yeah, I get their wings. I've never gotten their wings. <laughs> oh, their wings are fantastic. Really? Yeah. I didn't even know they had wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's what my other plug was going to be. I went to the Violet Crown for the first time. Oh, okay. I Loved guess it. I guess you liked it. Yeah, yeah. They were showing the original Friday the Thirteenth. Um, it was digital. It was not on thirty-five millimeters, so I wasn't too pleased, but. I was very impressed with the layout of it. It's on the second floor down there on Second Street, and mm-hmm. um, uh, we got a margarita pizza, which was delicious. And the guy behind the ticket counter uh, completely ignored the customer in front of me, and then helped <laughs> me because I was wearing a Sami Zayn hoodie. He's like, "Hey, bro, is that a Sami Zayn hoodie?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Cool, I'll help you right here." You know that guy in front of you. He's not plugging them on no. his podcast. <laughs> he's, they were talking about some terrorist, Sami Zayn. <laughs> Uh, no, but I, I thought the for the uh, aesthetic it gives much more upscale type theater experience. It's very still uh, economically affordable. Yeah, yeah, it is. I my main problem with the Violet Crown is just location. Parking. I hate yeah, I hate yeah. driving downtown. I know they validate your parking and all stuff, but it's just such a pain in the ass to go downtown mm-hmm. for a movie. It's yeah. different if I'm going to downtown for like a whole experience. We're going to spend a lot of time downtown. Do you, uh, do you not like going to the Ritz Draft House? Nope. Same reason why I don't really? go to the Ritz unless they're showing something that's amazing. But they that. showed Dunkirk in seventy millimeter there. Uh, right, but you know, I won't go by myself. If we were like having a, a friends outing where we're going to wa- go watch Dunkirk and then we'll go have food somewhere on 6th street then yeah i can do that you know but yeah me and reed went and saw it and then we went to the bar next door shakespeare's and just yeah had a beer up on the boat exactly yeah it just it's it's so expensive to park downtown it's such a pain in the ass to drive downtown i just uh the most time i spend downtown is usually during the austin film festival because i'll go really early in the morning park there and i stay the whole day downtown and it then is I go your back. wrestlemania it is my wrestlemania <laughs> yes uh but yeah i've been to the valley crown a couple times i went to see uh that Shakespeare adaptation by Joss Whedon, uh, Much to Do About Nothing. I think they were the only theater in town that was playing it. Is uh, it the one that fucking Curtis hated? Maybe. I don't know. It's in black and white, and it has. I don't think he's a big fan of Whedon to begin with. So, Who uh, was the girl in it that. Uh, it's like a bunch of Whedon actors. Amy Acker, I think, is like maybe the main one. Uh, and I watched that, and then one time I watched this terrible movie. Uh, do you watch uh, 
fuck. It's like sort of a time travel trip movie. Uh, time travel's wife? No. <laughs> no, it was like an indie movie, and I really liked. And then the same filmmakers made another movie called, fuck, was it like The Cult, maybe, or The Order or something? It had uh, uh, the Skargard brother that's uh, in True Blood. Alexander Skarsgård. Alexander Skarsgård. He's in it. And it had Juno in it, too. I think Ellen Page was like one of the characters. Um you know what I'm talking about? Like they're they're sort of like a cult. Oh no, I was thinking about that one that just came out where they like can kill and then go back in time. Like they die and Looper? Can... No. <laughs> Flatliners. Yeah. That's not time travel at all. That's a remake of a movie from the nineties. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh but anyway, that movie it's sucked. All Johnny Mnemonic. Uh yes. That movie sucked. Uh and obviously that's not the violent crowns. Fault, but if I'm gonna drive downtown and go through the whole it's ordeal, sour your opinion exactly. I I just want to uh, to have a good time for sure. So, so yeah, I, I don't really get to go much. But no, from the two times I went, I remember the the biggest thing I took was that they had recliners on the front row, mm-hmm. and that was before everybody had switched to recliners. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I was like, oh, that's nice. If you get stuck with front row seats, you can at least recline, and it's not so bad. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty smart. Uh, obviously, it doesn't make much of a difference now because now anywhere you go, did, yeah. yeah, you can just have a recliner. Um, but yeah, it's it's okay. I think, uh, I mean, speaking of Curtis, I think he goes to, to the Valley Crown more often than I do because he doesn't have to worry about parking. Mm-hmm. So it just if he's taking an Uber somewhere, he'll just Uber, Uber wherever. I am pulling up. The I was more or less just wanting to plug their margarita pizza. The East, that's what that movie's called, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's a... Uh, I've never had a problem there. I remember I could have... I don't think they had pizza available when I went. So that might be like a new addition. Damn shame. Yeah. They had like a weird concession stand with items that I didn't recognize. They didn't have popcorn. Just truffle oil. Just nuts. So that'll do it for Loser. That'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians. We are almost through our arc of female filmmaking. uh, Finishing with a big bang. A Uh big and a bang. (laughs) An underage bang. Oh, Jesus. I'm glad we have time to like come up with like better things to say or like better like deeper cuts than just the that, that one. Yeah, I think that we I, I trust us and your sister. I think we, we'll we'll come up with something better. Flash forward to the, the ending, of the next one. What a big bang it was! <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we'll cut you next time. That summer of 1999.